Welcome to America This Week. I'm Matt Taibbi. And I'm Walter Kern. Walter, what's the difference between sensitivity reading and vandalism? Well, for me as a writer, there is no difference because vandalism, which, uh, you know, is defined as the uh, barbaric uh, ruination of great monuments, uh, is totally analogous to people coming in as they're doing now to pieces of literature, great and average, I suppose, and uh, changing the words, not just the words, changing the ideas, the uh, substituting new names for old proper names, as has been done in the case of this Roald Dahl book we're going to discuss. And uh, just generally demolishing your intention as a writer, you know, it's not like we're in this for the money. We do this uh, chiefly, I think, to, uh, you know, erect little monuments to our own ideas and our own uh, thinking and style. Points and of view. Have, and, mm-hmm. and points of view. And, and, and then to have it some unknown, you know, undergraduate uh, in sensitivity studies or whatever the training is for this come in and you know blast away is to me surely the equivalent of vandalism maybe something worse actually i mean sacrilege yeah so we have this news story it's on the surface a small news story but it it, it kind of goes in all kinds of directions when you start thinking about it um should we just summarize what the thing is first before we um before we get to uh sort of the largest the the larger issues so there was a guardian uh story that came out this week we're all doll books rewritten to remove language deemed offensive uh augustus gloop now quote enormous instead of quote fat Mrs. Twit, no longer, quote, ugly, and Oompa Loompas are gender neutral. <laughs> um, this is by somebody somebody named Hayden Vernon. And um, let's just read some of this text. Roald Dahl's children's books, for, for, all, for those of you who don't know, Roald Dahl is a, a British writer who wrote some fairly famous books. Um, I've never been a huge fan of his writing, but um, I would always... I have to say that I, there there are some of his works are charming and they've turned into some pretty good movies like Charlie, you know, Charlie and the chocolate factory. Um, but anyway, uh, his books are, are, are being tweaked a little bit in new, uh, new versions. So here, here's, here's the text from the guardian. Roald Dahl's children's books are being rewritten to remove language deemed offensive by the publisher Puffin. Puffin has hired, sensitivity readers to rewrite chunks of the author's text to make sure the books quote can continue to be enjoyed by all today resulting in extensive changes across doll's work edits have been made to descriptions of characters physical appearances the word fat has been cut from every new edition of relevant books while the word ugly has also been called the daily telegraph reported augustus gloop in charlie and the chocolate factory and if you don't recall this is the this is the the hefty boy the fat boy from i believe germany is that right uh i, I who, can't be sure of that who she 
Yeah, he shows up. He's one of the golden ticket winners. He shows up and he's just greedy, right? So he, he kind of has to be fat. Like the fatness is part of his characterization. Um, and it's a great name, Augustus Gloop. I, I actually stole that once. I, I, uh, described in a sports piece that described, um, the co- then coach of the Cleveland Browns, Eric Mangini as the Augustus Gloop of the NFL. Cause he kind of looked like that. And, Jim Rome did a whole thing about Augustus Gloop as a result of that, just because the name is so funny, right? Augustus Gloop is now no longer fat. He's enormous. Uh, There's a family called the Twits. Mrs. Twit is no longer ugly and beastly, but just beastly. Um, Hundreds of changes were made to the original text, and some passages not written by Dahl have been added. But the Roald Dahl Story Company said, quote, it's not unusual to review the language, unquote, during a new print run. And any changes were, quote, small and carefully considered. Walter, you have, you did a, 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 a tweet. Um, do you have in front of you that tweet with some of those language changes? Because I, I, when I first read that, I, I almost fell out of my chair at, at, at the changes. Well, I, I do have the tweet, but first let me make a few comments on what you just read. Mm-hmm. Number one, Augustus Gloop, you can't change his last name. You may make him enormous, but gloop has a connotation that is ineradicable, mm-hmm. and 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 enormous does not capture it. Enormous, I hate to go back to uh, you know my pedantic days as a, a you know teacher. It means large. It means large in all dimensions and not just in width. And so we're to conclude, I guess, that what's distinctive about Augustus Gloop is that he's like a Macy's Day Parade balloon. Right. Not that, you know, he's fat. Well, the minute you start pulling one thread with literature, uh, you 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 pull apart the whole structure um, to, you know, take a guy who's named after, you know, the, the, the crap, his crappy diet and, and his gloopiness in general and make him just large is to, you know, introduce a contradiction, uh, you know, a, a, a sort of senseless detail that starts to make the whole thing come apart. Also, what are fairy tales really, but stories of revolting characters versus charming children? Of course. Right? Yeah. I mean, throughout throughout history, uh, fairy tales, which are sort of told from the point of view of the child, whether or not they are specifically told from the point of view render their um, impression of adults. And, and and children see adults as scary, ugly, fat, and all sorts of other Wrink- things. Wrinkled, that, smelling, that scare yeah. them. Yeah, all true. E- exactly. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. From the point of view of a perfect, shiny, little, you know, rosy-cheeked child, um, especially back, you know, in the grim fairy right. tales days, um, you know, before they had McDonald's Happy Meals, uh, uh, adults are somewhat repulsive, and so, and, and and the and the psychological effect or the sort of archetypal effect of these stories for children is to somehow help them reconcile the monstrousness of adults in their eyes with reality, and or to exaggerate it to the point of you know, scary absurdity. But so you've just 
this not just destroy a Roald doll story, but you've pulled the uh, basis for fairy tales themselves out from under the whole genre. So, so thanks, Puffin. Um, you have a very cute name, but uh, you are in fact a very destructive uh, force for for literature, thought, and the unconscious mind in general. That's that's rant number one because I've got. Oh yeah, no, keep, keep like, yeah, keep going. You know, airplanes above yeah. Laguardia. Well, uh, you know, secondly, Roald Dahl is dead. Let's mm-hmm. not forget. Okay, whoever the Roald Dahl Story Company is, um, this corporate entity that has been cobbled together over the grave of the actual author, um, we should not confuse them with the actual author. Um, Dahl might have had something different to say about uh, many of these changes. I I suspect he would. He was a cantankerous person. It comes through in his stories. I mean, the misanthropic quality of Roald Dahl is probably the first one you notice if you read a lot of his work. Um, He didn't particularly love people. And in that, he was like little children. And a lot of writers. Grossed out or revolted. Yeah, or, or, yeah, like a lot of writers. Right. So, you know, that's number two, rant number two. You are coming for the very sensibility, the very state of mind that causes people to exactly. write in the first place, which is some, uh, you know, irritation or, 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 or disagreement they have with the world at large. If they wanted to simply repeat and, um, you know, uh, uh, the, uh, the prejudices and beliefs and norms prevalent in their times, they would not be writers. They would be advertising. Right. right. Writers become writers because in, in almost every case, because they have social difficulties, they, they have complaints about people and they're more comfortable being by themselves, putting those thoughts on paper than they are sitting in a room full of people having like-minded thoughts. Uh, <laughs> it's highly individualistic, uh, you know, very specific, often very vituperative and angry language. Um, uh, but, but this specifically the genre that you talk about with, with children's fairy tales, uh, I mean, I think most people have forgotten. You got to go back and read the Grimm's fairy tales if you haven't read them recently. They're horrifying. Right, like they would never pass muster in today's climate. They 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 are really deeply disturbing, and 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 that's because it's assumed that this is the way children perceive the world. This is the way they understand they can handle it. Right, like that's the way they think already. So the 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 witch and the witch in Hansel and Gretel. I mean, uh, you can be sure that the whole concept of witches and witchery is pretty offensive to this class of sensitivity readers. And, uh, you know, what's, what's she going to be called in the next edition? The forest mystic? Right. Uh, or, you know, the lonely lady of the, of the leaves. (laughs) Um, so, uh, yeah. Yeah. They managed, they managed by pulling this one, you know, pulling this one thread to undermine this whole genre, not only, Roald Dahl's little piece of it. But, you know, again, to come back to this, he can't speak. Mm -hmm. And that is something that writers 
have in common because the most ambitious of us hope that if we should be hit by a truck tomorrow, our work will still be in circulation. And it's our dream that it might be in circulation for a long time or some piece of it might be. But now it's almost scary to think what might happen to your work if it survives a long time. That means, you know, almost annually or maybe semi-annually or with every edition, a new batch of sensitivity readers who are sure to grow ever more sensitive um, in, in ways that change, you know, seasonally are going to get a chance to gnaw on the bone of your work. Um, and uh, the, the thought that a hundred years from now, should, should a writer be so lucky that their work lasts that long, it will have been uh, you know, processed by, by, by how many hundred uh, idiots and come out still with your name on it. Is kind yeah. of frightening. I, I I can't think of anything more disturbing from a writer's point of view. Like I would much rather have my books or anything that I've written taken out of circulation entirely and never seen again by anybody than have some idea that I didn't have put on under my name. I mean, just just the thought that somebody would think that, that that's okay is just mind boggling to me. Like who, who are the people who think that's okay? I, I don't, I, have you encountered these people? Well, they don't listen to this podcast or if they right. do, or if they do, they run in horror, but um, no, I don't meet them. I think they avoid me. I'm not sure they go out much in general because their sensitivity is such that they might, uh, you know, be offended walking down the street. They might hear, you know, some conversation at the hot dog stand that uh, blows them away. Um, but, you know, but you asked me earlier to uh, cite a couple of specific examples from. A, yeah, a, let's, a, let's a, go through doll, those. Yeah, yeah. Doll book. And here's one that I found particularly interesting because it's not just an attempt to um, refashion language. It actually involves the cancellation of other writers within the text, a sort of Russian nesting doll censorship <laughs> uh, uh, attempt in which not not only do they censor the writer at hand, but they censor writers who that writer refers to. So uh, in the first edition of this book or the 2001 edition, excuse me, um, there is a, a sentence. She went on olden day sailing ships with Joseph Conrad. She went to Africa with Ernest Hemingway and to India with Rudyard Kipling. Now, 21 years later and 21 years wiser, society has, or, or, or the sensitivity department has decided to render that sentence. She went to 19th century estates with Jane Austen. She went to Africa with Ernest Hemingway, they left that part, and California with John Steinbeck. So, so this confused me. What was wrong with Kipling? It, Conrad and Kipling. They they both got it. Right, I know, but but I mean but uh, okay, yeah. We can well, we, well, we, well, we can get you know, 
Kipling spoke of famously of the white. Oh, man's that's burden. right. Yes, right. When white man's burden is that is that what the deal is with that? I, we have I no guess. idea because they don't footnote these changes. They don't justify. Right. Them. It, uh, I, not that I want to see them justified, but we can only speculate on what was offensive. Now, on the first, she went on olden day sailing ships with Joseph Conrad. Okay, so they switch genders there, and we have Jane Austen instead. For some reason, the Joseph Conrad world of sort of colonial exploration uh, and sea adventuring is deemed, um, you know, inferior to the world of 19th century estates, the places that actually ran the colonial experiment. But let's leave that out. Um, I was go- yeah. can, can, can I, can I just interrupt here for a second? Uh- the Conrad books are are profoundly critical of the whole. I mean, they also celebrate it in in some ways. They they make it mythology, but yeah. it's not exactly a a an unvarnished portrait of the virtues of colonialism. I mean, it's really dark. Conrad's well, books. I wouldn't, I wouldn't Whereas, say that. I wouldn't say that Kurtz is actually, a, you know, a, a glamorization of the colonial explorer. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's 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 a a lot of it is about it, a lot of it is about the 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 imperialist project and what it means, you know, where it clashes with the human instinct and. And whether you can still be a person and a conqueror, uh, you know, at the same time. I mean, th- these are these are profound, ugly questions. And now, I love Jane Austen. I loved her books growing up. Um, I think she's a she's a brilliantly witty, economical writer. Uh, I was an incredible fan of all of her books. Like Persuasion was one of my one of the my favorite books growing up, and. But those books are about manners, and yes, they're 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 critical of a lot of things, including like the misogyny, gender structure, prejudice, all that. But it's it's far less uh, condemnatory of, of of that world than Conrad is. I, I so I'm, I'm unless it's just to switch out one male author for a female one, I, I'm missing what the point is here. Well, absolutely. I second you, Matt. I mean, uh, so let's assign a point, a point system to these uh, these changes. They got one point for you know switching to the female uh, author and getting rid of Conrad, but I'd say they lost about five points in terms of uh, substance because, as you say, Conrad's critique of of, of uh, the colonial and imperial uh, project while it was going on, not retrospectively, but while it right, was yeah, exactly. Uh, um, while we were in the thick of it, or they were, uh, is 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 about a uh, hundred times as radical or enlightened, progressive, or whatever you want to call it, as Jane Austen's rather um, rather uh, quiet, dry. And finally, passive uh, rendering of the uh, world of the British country 
uh, gentleman and gentlewoman. Uh, you know, um, no revolutions will ever be fought with Jane Austen novels in hand. I promise you that. Um, you know, uh, with Conrad's she, ex- she, the exact opposite. I mean, did you ever read The Secret Agent? I have. Like, so that so that book is a hundred percent on point to stuff that we're dealing with right now in terms yeah. of in terms of uh how far can a human being realistically go to undermine uh dissident thinking can you retain your hum- your humanity when you do that like uh, yes that's a that's a it's a deeply disturbing very i think brilliant difficult book the radicals in in a secret agent or anarchists if i remember correctly a kind right. of anarchist mm-hmm. that doesn't ex- exactly exist anymore. Um, and uh, maybe, but may- but maybe that's why he got thrown out. Maybe in a weird way, if you read Conrad, you become a little too uh, savvy to stuff uh, that's going on now in a way that is inconvenient to the sensitivity complex. I'm not sure, but, but let's go to the second point. They left mm-hmm. in going to Africa with Ernest Hemingway. Okay, if I, you know, if I was one of the commissars of sensitivity and they put a gun to my head and I had to sacrifice all my principles and go and do this job, the one that I would have changed was going to Hemingway, going to Africa with Ernest Hemingway, you know, uh, for a couple of reasons, for a few reasons. Now, I I know descendants of Ernest Hemingway and, and love them. And uh, I'm a Hemingway fan in all sorts of ways, but the guy was killing elephants um, uh, for mere machismo. Uh, he, 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 I don't think ever really had a character in his uh, stories of Africa who was black, who had any significance to the story. Um, I may be wrong. Right. Hemingway Mavens can, can correct me on that. Um, and, except for the very end of his life where he suddenly fancied himself black or a native African, which sort of happened. He, he kind of had a weird delusional phase in which he then like a Rachel Dolezal phase. Well, he went back around and he, he would hunt naked with a spear and things like this, you know? Um, But, but in any case, why did they leave in the one person who, if I'm going to role play as a sensitivity reader, I would have taken out? It's a mystery. Uh, someone who commented on this uh, little brouhaha said, well, Hemingway was a, a known left-wing believer. You know, he, he fought against Franco. Um he was friends with the Cuban revolutionaries, at least until they took over his estate. Um, and uh, maybe he scored enough points during his life to, you know, be forever grandfathered in to the sensitivity revolution. But I, it's it's a total but, mystery. But, he's, but he, if you're doing the like the woke scoring on Hemingway, he's got to be a net minus, doesn't he? I mean... With the with with the the, the hunting, the bullfighting, the 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 you know the womanizing, the the you know. 
yeah, if if you're if you're if you're a woke crusader, maybe you go after the Old Testament first, and second you go after Hemingway. I mean, um, uh, you know, here's the here's the guy who gave us grace under pressure and just sort of being uh, a quiet, deadly man as the uh, apotheosis of human development. Um, you know, uh, here's the, here's the guy who, uh, I don't know, trade over and over violence as some sort of purifying ritual. Um, right. And well, but you know, the old man in the sea, um, as, as, mm-hmm. as the kind of quintessential stoic male individualist, um, agony, that makes you worth something. And uh, so, so, so yeah, like I say, Old Testament one in terms of anti-woke Ernest Hemingway two, and yet the Roald Dahl story company couldn't take him out, but could dispense with Conrad. It's just, uh, it's crazy. And then, and then they got to get rid of Kipling. And I guess, I guess thinking about it, I can see it. But I, I can see why Kipling would would ruffle feathers, of course. Um, well, this is but, this is a thought experiment in which we're ceding to them the uh, right to do this at all, just so that we can inspect it more co- closely. But but here's the other problem with getting rid of Kipling and substituting John Steinbeck, going to California with John Steinbeck does not have any of the adventure of going to India with Richard Kipling, I'm afraid. Um, it, you know, if, if the point of this sentence was to list big adventures, which it is, if, if you look at the left column, these are all kind of exotic, adventurous places for a Roald Dahl reading British kid. Um, uh, they are all colonial places, too. Um, and yet when you get to estates with Jane Austen, sorry, boring, not an adventure. Um, Africa with Ernest Hemingway, still an adventure. California with John Steinbeck, what, going to, you know, adventure among migrant grape pickers? I'm sorry, but that's just not something that fires the child's imagination exactly. Not that the child has any idea what any of these people are talking about. Uh, this is right, but the point of the, for, the point of the passage is to show that books are a way for kids to be transported into places that are far away. No, well, I mean, so so. Well, the 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 meaning of the passage is a sort of uh, you know Treasure Island style transport of the mm-hmm. comforting uh, place where the child's being read to into some more uh, risky, uh, imaginative, or faraway place. But India with Rudyard Kipling, which is the third example in the first one, is probably the most um, you know, exotic to all to the little child who was reading or having this story read to them. But California with John Steinbeck is just anticlimactic. It's like saying, you know, New York with Tom Wolf or something. Um, uh, 
it, it's very likely the child's well, already in California. Um, uh, you know, and, 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 and with Kipling, it wasn't even just India. Like if you read the man who would be King, they're talking about sort of modern day Kyrgyzstan or, um, or Uzbekistan or someplace like that. And the whole point of the book is that it's taking place kind of at the edge of the described world. You know, I mean, the, the, the 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 story is about kind of what happens to um european civilization like the people who come from that world as they drift further and further away from all the 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 things that make life comfortable for that sort of person in within the structure of like their colonial lives like like they go past the 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 mountain range that that defines the edge of the British empire and, and they go out into the wilds and they, and they meet these people who don't care that they're, they're British. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like that, that was, that story was, I think really an affecting story about how, you know, you can't, you can't assume that your life, like all, all the things that the assumptions that you bring to your daily routine are going to stay the same when you travel. I mean, they're, 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 they're going to, and same with Conrad, right? Obviously, uh, the farther you go up river, the, the more, the more, the, the equation changes. Well, well, the obvious, the obvious literary intent of the original was to take a, 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 an English speaking kid who was sitting in, you know, England in the 1970s, when Wald Dahl was writing, or maybe a little earlier, or America, and um, uh, uh, sort of push them out of their frame with all of these colonial places. None of which are If you're hearing this message, you're listening to the free version of America This Week. To hear the rest of our conversation, please subscribe at taibi.substack.com.